This is the Canadian Investor, where you take control of your own portfolio and gain the confidence you need to succeed in the markets. Hosted by Braden Dennis and Simon Belanger. The Canadian Investor Podcast. Today is Tuesday, March 28th. My name is Braden Dennis, as always, joined by the very versatile Simon Belanger. How you doing, buddy? I am pumped for this show. We got lots on the docket. We got an update from uh, Mr. Jay Powell. We're going to talk about TikTok maybe getting the boot, uh, the Hindenburg short report on block, and then we will uh, round it out with uh, the Lumine group. Uh, everything good with you? How are you doing, bro? Yeah, I'm doing pretty well. I'm excited to uh, to record, and it seems like, you know, uh, with uh, what's happening with the banks and all that, there's always something going on. So we're getting some some good and consistent content with you know a l- little help from short sellers too. Yeah, a little help from our friends at uh, Hindenburg. All right, so uh, Mr. J. Powell, Bazooka Man, speaks. What was the latest move from the Fed? Yeah, so I think it was mostly expected. Uh, the market was pricing it at around seventy five percent chance that they would raise. Um, the rate by 25 basis points. So this is what they ended up doing. Now, obviously, that changed a little bit because of the uh, banking crisis that's happened the last uh, since mid-March. Here are some takeaways I got from watching his press conference because that's what really people were focusing on is what is he going to say? So the recent banking crisis in some banks will likely lead to the tightening of credit, which would slow down the economy more than anticipated. They now anticipate that ongoing rate increases will no longer be required and that some additional increases may be appropriate. And he did zero in on ongoing versus additional increases may be appropriate so you're really looking at the language and that's what people look at is what is he saying and he made a point of saying that as well during the press conference and they'll be assessing future rate hikes based on data from the labor market inflation and credit the overall credit availability in the economy so those were kind of the big points that i got from the press conference now if we go back on the Wednesday, that infamous call where the um, management from Silicon Valley Bank, SVB, um, so that Wednesday, Powell was speaking in front of Congress. And based on that speech, the market actually started pricing in 75% plus change at the Fed would rate hikes by 50 basis points and then the rest 25 basis points. So that was funny because, well, not necessarily funny, but that happened the day before that call or the same day right earlier in the day now following the collapse of svb the cme fed watch tool and i encourage anyone interested in seeing what the market is kind of pricing it you can just google that you'll find it it started to flip those odds and then basically remove any possibility of a 50 basis point hike and a small chance of a pause now the fed is really in a tough a really tough spot right here they have a tight rope to walk if it continues rising rates quickly 
to quell inflation, more things could break in the financial system. If they cut rates, then it might make inflation worse. So it would also be a signal to the market that the Fed is extremely concerned with the financial stability of banks if they decide to cut rates and obviously more specifically to regional banks. Now, the Fed has a choice between chaos in the financial markets or high inflation. So that's essentially what, you know, that tightrope they need to do. And I think that with the 25 basis point increase, they're trying to convey confidence in their new program, the bank term funding program, BTFP, that they put to backstop those regional banks. So I've been listening to a lot of people that know a lot more than I do. And essentially, they're trying to, you know, they put that that program in place to be able to continue at least slowly keep rates at this level or increase them ever so slightly. Um, Any questions, any comments before I just finish, I wrap up here? No, I I think that you touched on this well was like the consensus move to 25 bips like almost immediately after what was that thursday friday of that week with svb yeah yeah exactly yeah so you had this speech where it kind of increased the 50 basis point chance uh from jerome powell on the wednesday (laughs) during the day and then everything happened with svb and it kind of flipped on his head which was really crazy you would check the tool almost every day and it would like change pretty significantly where usually as you get closer to the Fed decision, it actually kind of levels out and the market has a pretty good idea of what they'll do. And they're usually right in terms of, you know, the expectation, especially if you're within one week. Have you seen the data visualization that I've seen go around the Internet, make its make its rounds in virality that shows what the consensus uh, path of rates was moving forward and how it just keeps changing like every month and, and the re- the array of expectations consensus moved so, so much in the last like, I don't want to say like 16 months-ish. It's baffling to see. It's why you go never go full macro and it's a nice visualization of no one knows what's going to happen, right? And, and and don't forget that. I think so many self-directed investors think that they are missing some informational edge when it comes to macro. And I just don't think that that's true at all. Um, and, and so th- that, that visualization is a healthy reminder. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, macro is extremely complicated. There's a lot of moving parts, even the best at it. Um, and actually the best at it are really, you know, they get into the weeds of things, but even then they'll never predict something, you know, try to pinpoint it. They'll, I've talked about this before. They'll talk in probabilities of things happening and they'll give some pretty wide ranges. So that's, that's the way I kind of see it. And I was, um, I was texting with Dan from our real estate show and, uh, he's read the book, but, um, handling, I think, um, one of the books from, Oh man, I I forget the name, but um, Ray Dalio. Well, I'm doing oh yeah. Ray Dalio. Yeah, okay. exactly. Ray Dalio. Sorry, I had the uh, brain brain cramp. So uh, just to <laughs> about the big debt cycles, and I'm a quarter of the way through, and it's kind of crazy. It was you wrote that book five years ago, and a lot of the stuff he's talking about ha- is happening right now. So is you're listening. Big, re- big debt crises, or is yeah, it that's the- it. 
yeah, yeah, the big debt crises. So it's really interesting, especially with what we're seeing. Uh, but he has a good approach, right? I think it's just, um, you know, he puts the data out there, but it's kind of freaky listening to it. And a lot of the stuff we're seeing happen is actually he talks about in the book. But to get back at Jerome Powell, what was really almost funny because um, while Jerome Powell was having his press conference about the rate hike, Janet Yelling, the U.S. Secretary of Treasury, was doing a congressional hearing in front of the Senate, and she was essentially saying that the U.S. was not considering backing all of the uninsured U.S. bank deposit, while Powell was essentially implying the opposite. Now, a day later, um, she kind of changed, she backtracked a little bit and said that they would be prepared to take further action to ensure deposits would be safe. Um, I just found that really funny because at the same time, I know they're separate. The Fed's supposed to be independent. I think that's debatable. But the fact that they wouldn't have at least, you know, have a similar message on that, it just it's a bit of a head scratcher, especially the two, I would say, two of the most high profile people when it comes to the bank stability right now. Let's talk TikTok. Um, Have you been following this story much at all? I have, yeah, a little bit. Um, I didn't watch the congressional hearing well, it was with the five CEO. and a half hours, so yeah, but I, I heard like you know little bits and pieces. And yeah, yeah. Uh, anyways, I can give my thoughts after that. I the only thing I watched was a couple of clips here and there, and I did read the entire opening statements, um, including the five minute opening statement from the CEO of TikTok, and I, I think he actually did a really phenomenal job. Um, but that's, that's a hard seat to sit in. My goodness, that is a tough seat. Um, all right. So is TikTok getting the boot from the United States, uh, and maybe the Western world? That is the, that is the question on everyone's name, on everyone's mind. And, uh, I know we're talking lots of U.S. macro and politics here, but, uh, the Canadian Investor Podcast, you know, we're going to talk Canadian content later as well. I'm going to talk about the Lumine Group, the Constellation spinoff, but TikTok. All right. Um, Dude, did I ever tell you about the uh, the story of when I reserved the Canadian Investor Podcast name on TikTok? Was I telling you about this or no? Uh, I recall your girlfriend helping yeah. doing that, but that's yes, about exactly. it. Yeah, yeah, okay, okay. Exactly. Okay, so <laughs> for the listeners, my girlfriend was like, are you guys thinking of, I don't know, eating lunch or something. She's like, are you thinking of doing TikTok, like podcast clips? And I was like, I feel like we should, you know, like grow, market the show. Like that's the, that's the new thing to do. Um, but I've never had TikTok. I've never had it downloaded. I don't know how to make a TikTok. Like I'm <laughs> such a noob here. And, I, you know, I'm, I'm on my phone and I'm like, yeah, hey, let's do this. So I was like, all right, let's download it. I'll reserve the, the podcast name because I want someone to take it. And then I'll delete the app, like in and out, you know, like I'm in and I'm out. And right away, you know, you download the app, you're, you're brought into this like engaging video clip, endless scroll, right? And, and everyone knows what I'm talking about. They know I'm a dude. They know my age, which, you know, I gave them whatever, who cares? Um, but if you know my Instagram feed, it is NFL clips, news, hockey, finance, gym bros, Tiger Woods golf swing clips, more golf, cute dogs, and attractive women playing golf. I don't make the rules. This is just 
what this is what's on my feed, all right? And the first 10 videos were like basically that in order. And I'm like, okay, so something like something's up, right? Like they have the data on me, which you know, no one's no one's uh surprised by that. Like you're not surprised by that really, are you? Like I, all the apps are doing this. And uh, I don't think that's a coincidence. So anyways, I stuck to the plan. I got there, the, let the me name. put my tinfoil hat. <laughs> They're listening to you. Brady. <laughs> Dude, like you can't make that up. Like, no, that's, no, I know. Especially when you join the app, like you'd think it would take some time for them. Some to, time. Yeah. They, but they probably have something where it's almost, you know, they have you like based on your age and everything. The fact that you're a male, like they give, they give you what, will work most of the time and then they they probably just tweak it yeah yeah and of course i'm exaggerating because here i am i've now scrolled through like i've ate like on my entire sandwich and i've scrolled through so i'm 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 picking of course they're showing me like what's viral on the app like you know it's not just that in order so of course i'm i'm exaggerating a little bit but not a lot um and so anyways are you a CCP operative, Brayden? Uh, yeah, I'm a CCP operative operating the Canadian Investor Podcast. Um, Biden's like speech the other day, he called Canada China. I don't know if you saw that. Oh, uh, really? Yeah, uh, he like, I, I had mean, like a yeah. Freudian slip and uh, I don't know how Freudian of a slip okay. it was. okay. I forgot Ray Dalio's <laughs> name, you know? We, we, yeah, exactly. We, yeah. Exactly. You forgot Ray I Dalio. I literally like was listening to the book like, 10 minutes before recording. <laughs> Dude, that guy name. writes a lot of books. Like, mm-hmm. who's writing all these books for him? Because they're like, they're not short, right? Like, the, no, uh, the well, principal's book is like, I don't know, like 600 pages or something? I don't know. I think he still does that. It's just it's his team that does the research. And then from there, obviously, he'll... I That's my impression. Maybe I'm wrong. I think he writes it. But obviously, the extensive research is done by a group uh, that works for him. Right. Because... Ray Dalio himself and the author is a big marketing engine for his hedge fund, Bridgewater. So these these are connected. Anyways, TikTok, what's going to happen here? Um, in late February, the White House gave government agencies 30 days to ensure they do not have Chinese-owned app TikTok on federal devices and systems. Europe and Canada have also done a very similar thing. They've announced, you know, a ban on government issued devices saying Canada said it is, quote unquote, an unacceptable level of risk to privacy and security. Uh, Okay. Last week, TikTok CEO Shu Zichu, who is a Singaporean guy, I I had never heard him speak before, but I, I did listen to his opening remarks. I think he did a good job. He's a Singaporean he did university in the United K, uh, United K, the United Kingdom, and then he's lived in the U.S. ever since. His he met his wife here in the U.S. You know, he he did the whole thing like, hey, like I'm American. Uh, I'm sitting here in front of you Americans as an American. He did that whole thing, so that was probably pretty smart. Um, and so this was before the House of Energy and Com- Commerce Committee. So this went exactly as you would expect. It is the classic technology CEO in front of the U.S. government. You have a list of reasonable questions, some hard questions, some easy questions, and some absolutely out-to-lunch questions. Um, There has to be some sort of 
minimum level of technology before you enter that room. You'd think, you know, like, is, is that not a fair thing they should have to implement? Like you have to have the base level of knowledge of like, what is a smartphone? What is the internet? I'm not kidding. Those no, you're not kidding. I know. I know. <laughs> it's hard to watch. And you know what it does? It's a waste of a lot of time. Um, when a lot of these government employees don't have a base level of homework done before they're having the CEO testify in front of you about a very important geopolitical issue. Um, that's just not acceptable in my opinion. Like the level of some of the questions that are like, ha, does your, does your app use internet? That was one of the questions. It was like, are, is it connecting to my internet? I was like, oh, okay, uh, you you just lost the talking. Yeah, it's <laughs> like, the you know, put your, <laughs> let me put your phone in airplane mode and let me know if the app works. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. He just walks over there to like the, the stand. He's like, here, slide down, press that airplane mode, try to load TikTok. Um, yeah, so that's how it went. Now, now can they ban it? Uh, the answer is I'm not sure. I'm not a lawyer. And of course, Apple, Google have to be involved here in a major way, right? They're, they're the gatekeeper of these major applica- app stores. So a lot of big tech's involved here. Uh, Mark Zuckerberg's just licking his chops, isn't he? He's just... Well, Google He's too. just hoping they... Yeah, I think Google too, because YouTube and YouTube Shorts would be. Uh, I think it would be true. Obviously, I think it would be Meta and you or Google that would benefit the most, because then maybe I Snap so. as a, as a third kind yeah. of uh, benefactor. But yeah, those. Yeah, they would definitely benefit the most, and it also makes you wonder: even if they force them to sell it, why would they even pay a decent price? Like at that point, yeah, you know, they'll. They probably would say, well... It's a forced sell. Yeah, exactly. Um, um, Yeah. And then there's all the anti-competitive issues that they've had with big tech. So uh, there's a whole (laughs) lot of questions whichever way they go with this. So yeah, the the answer is I'm not sure and no one is for sure. It it is still a lot up in the air legality-wise. Can they do it? How swift can they do it? Uh, I'm not sure. Now, there are some things to think about. There, there's legal amendment rights in the U.S. they'll run up against. And also risking, you know, saying, China, the way you guys act, we don't agree with. And we're going to do the same thing by blocking uh, one of your technology companies in our country the same way they do that to U.S. companies. Like, you can't go on Facebook in China. You can't go on Instagram. You can't go on even Google. Google's not there. No. Yeah. yeah you got to use, uh, what is it, Baidu? Uh, yeah, it is Baidu. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, you got to use that or uh, WeChat, basically, like the super app from Tencent. And so they risk looking extremely um, hypocritical, for one. But is that a point of contention? I'm not sure. I don't think so. So this hearing was five and a half hours of bashing TikTok, grilling the CEO, political theater, and what I think is, this is more about U.S. versus China than anything else. TikTok is becoming a prop of geopolitical tension, in my eyes. 
Um, and it's an easy one to draw on because it has so much influence and so much data, ideally, like in their eyes, right? So the CEO has been right to call out as well. U.S. social media companies have been anything but angels in data privacy. Look no further than Facebook and Cambridge Analytica engaging in building maliciously addictive algorithms to maximize engagement. And so from that perspective, he's right. But two wrongs don't make a right here. And I think it's fair to say most people don't want their data being harvested to the CCP. Now, I don't know where to, where I sit here. As an individual, I'm not on TikTok, so I could, I, I could care two shits. We live just fine without it, uh, and we'll live just fine uh, if it's gone. It will certainly disrupt the ads business. Creators who make money doing this, who market themselves, business who market themselves. Um, but if the application is as invasive as people are saying it is, then yes, something needs to be done. Um, let's see what happens. I, I do believe if I had to bet money that there's a for sale or, or full outright ban uh, to go down, I, I think that it will happen. And and yeah, you can just see Zuck licking his chops right now. He's loving this. Yeah, and it's also kind of making people forget a little bit about big tech, right? I think while they're focusing yeah. on that, because there'd been a lot of focus on big tech and how influential they had become in the last, you know, decade or so. You so, just see Microsoft in the back. Yeah. They're like, so can we acquire... Activision yeah. Blizzard? They're like they're just like sitting just in the corner. This piece of like, paper will be like, gone. <laughs> they're like, shut up, Microsoft. We're talking about TikTok right now. Yeah, and I think you're totally right. I mean, I think it's a low hanging fruit when it comes to um, almost what the the CCP stands for. I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but I think if there's one thing in the U.S., even though they're extremely polarized, obviously whether it's Democrat or Republican, um, you know, there's less and less uh, bipartisan cooperation. And this is one thing that Democrats and Republicans are kind of unified on when it comes to most things CCP. Um, they tend to agree on it. So I know there's some nuances a little bit, but unfortunately, that's the reality. Whether it's good or bad, I mean, it's hard to say. I, I personally would not want to see like an escalation because you're talking about um, two superpowers, the U.S. and China. Whether we want to admit it or not, they are the two superpowers in the world. And, you know, countries will, if there's a conflict between the two, um, there's going to be sides that'll, you know, some countries will go on the side of the U.S. and some countries will go on the side of China. We can probably guess some of those. Obviously, Canada, the, you know, the Western nations, clearly we know which side they would go on. But there are some other countries like, you know, I don't know Brazil politics well enough, but I don't know which way they would go. So that's um, that. It's just a lot of things that come up in terms of geopolitics where I'm not an expert, but. Yeah, it seems like the U.S. Uh, Democrats and Republicans don't agree on much, but they tend to agree on this stuff. That's right. Yeah, you, you got a good point. There's like a few things that everyone can agree on uh, in, in in that room. And this is certainly one of them. And it's become a prop for geopolitical tensions, but with good reason. I mean, if it is as in, I don't know. Like, and no one knows. That's the problem. Like, the technology in, in ByteDance, the owner of TikTok, it's proprietary. Like, their algorithm that they serve up to their users is a trade secret. 
um, it is not widely out there. The same way Instagrams is and YouTubes is, it's their technology. Um, and so it is a full trade secret that does not need to be unveiled. Yeah. So I don't know where this goes. No, I'm and, sure. And a forced sell too. I, I mean, I'm not an expert and I'm sure there's people that understand it better than I do, but I mean, I, f- it feels like it would be quite the undertaking to, for whichever company would acquire that because they would have to most likely agree with the U S that they, first of all, the data would be stored in the U S and then vet all the code to make sure that's no, like, like I said, I'm not an expert, but no back doors or anything still feeding, uh, in China. If they're is i don't know if there is but that would clearly be a concern yeah all right let's talk about this short report that uh definitely yeah. took a chunk <laughs> out of the market ca- to the market cap of block ak square and certainly a couple maybe a couple zeros off jack dorsey's uh net worth yeah, and definitely taking a big shot at Jack Dorsey himself too, if you, uh, for people interested here. So Hindenburg Research, they produce a short report on block. It was pretty scathing. I'll uh, just say that. And I'll talk about the big points here. It's quite a lengthy report. So for those not familiar with Hindenburg Research, they are the same group that release a short report on Adani Group, the massive conglomerate located in India. Adani, since the short report is down more than 50%, although it seems to have stabilized a little bit. It was in free fall for a while. Now it seems to, to have leveled off a little bit. Now the block report is quite something. It'll sum it up with, uh, you know, they do a decent job of giving all the kind of points that they're, you know, alleging or saying that is going on for their thesis. Uh, but even that was like five pages. <laughs> it's kind of funny. It's like yeah. the summary is still quite long. But here are the main takeaways from my perspective. So first, they allege that there is widespread fraud on the cash app, one of the bright spots of Square and that, you know, and Square and its suit of offerings. The app was used, they claim that the app was used by individual to receive multiple stimulus payments, pay for contract killers. Yes, you heard me correctly pay for contract killers for sex trafficking like hiring hitmen hit on uh, the square yeah. app that's the, pretty much the what the, it's word for word um what they're saying they also interviewed former employees who say that 40 to 75 percent of accounts were either fake involved in fraud or were multiple accounts tied to one individual side note here when you interview former employees Sometimes they also have a grudge against the organization. So you have to take that, you know, I'm not saying it's not true. I'm just trying it's like to glass play. door reviews of the CEO <laughs> after they've been fired. Exactly. So I'm just saying, you know, you have to, I like to look at both sides whenever I look at something. Now they said that they are not following AML uh, regulations. AML is anti-money laundering, which all regulated financial institutions have to follow. They said there are multiple accounts with the names Donald Trump, Jack Dorsey, and even Elon Musk. To prove their point, they created an account with the name Donald Trump and received a cash card in the mail under that name. They're oh my god! <laughs> yeah. Are you kidding me? No, I'm not. Oh, so man. they're charging more interchange fees than what is legally allowed by law based on their assets and they are saying they're going through essentially try to to bypass that by going through some smaller banks for the payments the afterpay acquisition was a flop and its losses are growing no surprise here i think
think we talked about that. And actually, you know, people that have been listening to the podcast for a while know I used to own Square or Block, sold it. I think it's been like probably around six months now. And one of the big reasons was I just didn't get the acquisition of Afterpay. It just was a big overpay with for something that's just not that's easily uh, replicated and so many competitors in this buy now pay later thing and and there's also i think some you know they're playing the gray legal zone as well with those kind of services because there are rules in terms um you know in many countries including canada and the u.s where you're only allowed to charge a certain amount of interest um you can't go above a certain amount so they also mentioned based on what i just said here that the service was designed to avoid lend rules by charging fees for late payments, which can be as high as 289% if calculated on an APR basis. Um, so that's essentially the, the way these services work is it's an interest-free loan that you do over, you know, what, three, four months installments, whatever it is. Yep. And then if you don't pay on time, then that's when the fees start kicking in. So that's how they make the money. They finish by yeah, saying, like, do these installments 0% interest free. But if you miss a payment, my friend, the APR is, yeah, it, it isn't not beyond the legal bounds what you can charge in in Ontario. Like I thought it was like 49, some of these payday lenders do. Yeah. But I don't know. This is crazy. Yeah. And they say up to 289%. So I don't know if that varies by jurisdiction, by, you know, the value or who the customer is. So I, I really don't. I've never used any of those by now, worry later um, type of, <laughs> type of nice. thing. So I, it's just not in my niche. I don't like to buy stuff on credit. I, I use my credit card and I pay it right away. It's basically just a way to get points. Like that's, <laughs> that's how I do it. Yeah. Um, but anyways, that's something. It's definitely a gray zone, especially if they're going over that, you know, limit um, in terms of lender rules for specific countries. I mean, they may say it's fees, but that could definitely go to court. I'm not a, a lawyer, but I could see, you know, people suing them for that. Now, the last two points here, they finish by saying the company is overvalued. They argued that it is priced like a profitable growth company, which is not, although they do turn out some free cash flow but i'm sure they're talking about earnings here and even before factoring their findings they believe that it has 75 to uh, 65 to 75 percent downside so um those are the big lines i encourage anyone you know it's readily available to anyone who wants to have a look at it it's a pretty scathing report um there's a lot of things they mention a lot of allegations so um I don't know whether they're all true or not, but uh, that's that's what they put out. This report, it came out, obviously, block stock got absolutely hammered. Uh, did you see that they posted that they made, Hindenburg made a YouTube video compiling all of the times that rappers are talking about <laughs> using Cash App for drugs, sex, and like, you know, gang gang murder stuff oh yeah and, and it's part of their report <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah they put it in there and i was just like oh man like these guys are having fun with this stuff and you know what i don't think that has any correlation but what it does do is it helps tell their tell their story and their narrative with pop culture and like the there's like a realness aspect to that like to, to having that 
in there. Uh, it, it, it's real, and it's, sh- it's showing the screenshots of there being seven Elon Musks and 87 Jack Dorseys on the Cash App. Don't quote me on those numbers, but they have some screenshots of that in the report. And you know what? I, I think, I, I, I don't know. I don't know if any of this is legitimate, true. I don't have the Cash App. I think it's just a U.S. thing. But what I can say is absolutely this has been a capital allocation disaster since the second they acquired Afterpay. I mean, like, that, was it $29 billion in cash and stock? Something like, like that was ridiculous. I mean, uh, unbelievable. probably the worst acquisition in the pandemic uh, following Teladoc and Livongo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, but Teladoc, yeah. Livongo, no. and Afterpay. I mean, like, come on. This is... Who in their right mind would have thought that it was worth $29 billion at the time? And, and you and I scratch our heads. Now, you know what? You should have known that this was going to happen. Have you seen their investor relations website with all of the executives yeah. on a block? <laughs> I've seen that. Yeah. <laughs> I have a screenshot of it here on the dock. It, that's got to be the cringiest thing I've ever seen. Like the most useless... Uh, questionable rebranding ever was square to block. Like that was, (laughs) we're going to look back and we're going to go, Oh, interest rates were way too low. You know how we know? Cause square changed their name to block for no reason. Uh, Jack was bored after he left Twitter. Basically, it seems to me anyways, this is the block response. I wanted to include this in here as well. We intend to work with the SEC and explore legal action against Hindenburg Research for the factually inaccurate and misleading report they shared about our cash app business today. Hindenburg is known for these types of attacks, which are designed solely to allow short sellers to profit from a declined stock price. We have reviewed the full report in the context of our own data and believe it's designed to deceive and confuse investors. We are a highly regulated public company with regular disclosures and are confident in our products reporting compliance and controls. We will not be distracted by typical short seller tactics. Now, this was a lot shorter uh, and a lot better than Adani's 200-page response because a 200-page response to a short seller is 1 million percent something someone would do who's guilty, you know? Like, this quick response, this is, this is, this is madness, they're just trying to make money off us, is a way better response to a short seller than the Adani 200-page report that they somehow spin up like the next day. Anyone who already kind of had that on the ready is probably a fraudster, and I called them out of being fraudsters well before that short report even came out. So uh, uh, let's start the Bredo short uh, short seller group. Yeah, and I mean, I think it, there are always there tends to be two camps, right? There tends to be camps that hate short sellers, and then people that think they play a really important role in the market. And I'm kind of in the middle, I would say. I think there are short sellers that do play an important price discovery role in the market. Wait, so and- you have a balanced and nuanced <laughs> opinion on I something in 2023? Yeah. <laughs> what the dude? What's wrong with you? Yeah, and I think, look, I think there's definitely some short sellers that have practices that are eyebrow raising where, you know, clearly they have an incentive for the stock to go down. So they could spew out, you know, some, you know, borderline, you know, 
true or kind of twist the facts to get the outcome that they want. But I also know that there's been short sellers who have literally uncovered frauds. And uh, without them, these frauds could have been ongoing for much longer and caused even more pain and damage to um, to other to other more uh, people. So I, I think it's somewhere in between whether I don't know all the regulation that's involved with short sellers. Maybe there just needs to be a little bit more transparency um, just because some of these reports, uh, some are well done and I think more legitimate than others. But some, you know, you just it's it's a little. Yeah. It's a little hard to take seriously, yet they tend to accomplish what they want with tanking the the stock price of the company they're short on. It is a method that brings out a group of people who are looking to profit from this. Like I don't I don't know how to say that more eloquently. It's going to bring a bunch of people with bad intentions if the market is allows this to exist but it also needs to exist and that's why it's difficult to have that's why i said like you have a balanced and nuanced opinion on this because yes i think both of us um can agree on that it is an important actor and mechanism in a healthy financial market that these people exist but it is going to naturally bring bad actors along along with it. Luckily, the guys who or the guys and girls who are short sellers who just spew bullshit and don't have a good reputation can't move the stock very much. No, exactly. Um, <laughs> versus ones that have good reputation, they can move the stock. And so I think again, that's the market regulating it. Um and that's a good thing. All right, let's talk about Lumine Group, which is now began trading on the TSX Venture. So finally, last Friday, so you know, three business days ago, uh, Group of Constellation Software has spun off and now begun trading on the TSX Venture called Lumine, which is under ticker LMN.V. Oh, I think so. Wait, let me let me verify I mean, that. You're, that you're the uh, L- constellation L- expert here. V. Yes, I am right. LMN.V. I don't want to give bad uh, bad info here. And um, this is now their second Spinco that trades on the Toronto Stock Exchange Venture. The first one was Topicus, and now we have Lumine Group. Uh, the shareholders received of Constellation received three Lumine shares for every CSU share held. They de- debuted at a high of eighteen dollars. Um, they finished Friday at uh, sixteen seventy five. Today it's around fifteen ish bucks. So it's definitely come down a, a little bit from that uh, eighteen dollar price. The market's still just trying to find where this should trade because there's limited information right now. Um, so let's use the Friday at the close number of sixteen seventy five. This represents you know, four point two billion in market cap company, which is quite significant. Uh, every financial data website out there, we don't even have it on Stratosphere yet because we're, we're trying to get the data the data right because everyone has it wrong, um, showing the wrong share count. Uh, understandably, it's a bit of a gray area. And from uh, at a glance from the investment banks, which I had to re- research through, they had the right share count and uh, BMO Capital Markets has it at... Pro forma revenue for calendar year 2022 at 468 million. 
and EBITDA of roughly US dollars, $130 million. Uh, for wondering, people wondering, what is this company? You know, that's cool, but what, what do they do? It is a perfect comp to Enge House, the Canadian serial acquirer of communication software, uh, interactive communication software and uh, telco type uh, software. And I used to talk about Enge House quite a lot until I realized CSU is a much, much better acquirer. And I basically uh, switched entirely. And um, funnily enough, this Spinco is almost double Enge House's market cap uh, today. So according to RBC estimates, this trades at a slight premium to Constellation and a slight discount to Topicus, given or- organic growth rates are basically sandwiched in between them in the middle. So makes complete sense to me. Yeah, I mean, I don't have too much to, to add here. I mean, you know it uh, much better than I do. I own Constellation through a fund that I have with my DC pension, um, but it's just, you know, it's a top 10 holding for that fund, but it's not a used <laughs> position uh, for, for me I'm overall. I'm one share of a global index fund and just say I own, I'm just going to walk by. like Own everything. You know, I see, yeah. I see that company, I own it. I, hey, see that company? you do. I own it too. Yeah. The only difference is BlackRock or Vanguard or whoever the uh, the asset manager is. They're the ones that do yeah. all the make all the decisions and the votes. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's been a corporate governance nightmare. But uh, that's a topic for another day. Thanks for listening to the podcast today, folks. That is our Thursday release. Thursday releases is earnings and news. Lots of news today. Is TikTok going to be canceled? I think that it'll come up again on the podcast uh, with one decision one way or another or updates along the way. Um, and then the Monday recordings are our thoughts, our frameworks, investor frameworks. And a lot of that content is now on our website too, thecanadianinvestorpodcast.com. You will see a link there, not only to the show notes, but join tci.com where you can support uh, the show and see our portfolio updates. So today's the 28th. This is coming out on the, what day will that be? The uh, end of the, the week. 30th. Or, yeah. 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 And so that means when you wake up on Monday morning of the following week, after you listen to this, our updates on jointci.com will be available for our portfolio updates. So you'll see what Simone and I are doing in our individual portfolios. And lastly, there is a link to stratosphere.io, which is the best financial data analytics software um, that uh, Simone is an investor in and I am the co-founder of. So go ahead and check that out, stratosphere.io. We'll see you in a few days. Take care. Bye-bye. The Canadian Investor Podcast should not be taken as investment or financial advice. Braden and Simone may own securities or assets mentioned on this podcast. Always make sure to do your own research and due diligence before making investment or financial decisions.